The Honorable is the presiding chief judge and judges of the Court of Appeals of the state of North Carolina. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Court of Appeals is now in session. God save this state and this honorable court. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Court of Appeals virtually. Um, I am Chief Judge Donna Stroud uh, and the other judges on the panel this morning. We have Judge Valerie Zachary to my virtual right. Judge Hunter Murphy to my virtual left. And um, we are now considering the case of Cullen v. Logan Developers, Inc. And uh, we are ready to proceed. May it please the court. My name is Meredith Hinton, and I, along with Will, Will Patterson, represent the plaintiff, Deborah Cullen. At this time, we would request to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. In 2018, Michael and Deborah Cullen contracted with Logan Developers to build their dream retirement home in Southport. Mike had just retired, and Deborah was going to continue to work as a pharmaceutical sales rep and would be able to do that from her new home in Southport. After moving into the house, Deborah was tragically hurt after she fell through a hole that had been cut and left in the upstairs storage space walkway by Logan Developers. We all agree today that this case is to be reviewed de novo. And for purposes of the, this appeal, the defendants concede that their negligence is not an issue here today. The issues on appeal today are, was the plaintiff contributorily negligent as a matter of law? And did the plaintiff present sufficient facts to survive summary judgment on the issue of the defendant's gross negligence? For contributory negligence, our courts have held each case must be decided on its own merits. Let me tell you the story from Mrs. Cullen's point of view. To access the storage area, the Cullens had to go upstairs on an inside stairwell that would go to their bonus room, which is located above their garage. This is an inside stairwell. In the bonus room, there's a closet type door that allows them to access this storage area. At the time of this incident, the Cullens had lived in the home less than one week. Mrs. Cullen testified that she had only been in the storage space at most twice before. The storage space has a, a safe walkway that is like a capital F. So once you walk through the door, imagine you're walking along the, from the bottom of the capital F. Um, there is a design pathway. This capital F is a safe pathway for walking and it's clear where the roof trusses will allow a person to walk through that walkway. Now, the hole that the Logan developers cut was cut into the walkway at the first extension from the central path. So that bottom prong of the F is where their hole was cut. When Ms. Cullen went into the storage space before, the plywood subflooring contained no holes. And during one of the last walkthroughs of the house, Mr. and Mrs. Cullen were downstairs in their master bathroom. And they noticed this area on the ceiling where it was framed. They asked, hey, wh wh what is that? They were told that it, this was something that was required by the building code and it would be covered up prior to them move, moving in. And Logan developers, Jeremy Pender said, you'll never know that was there by closing. Mrs. Cullen never knew that it, what this framed area was, nor that it was a hole that went up into the storage area. Upon taking the possession of the homes, Logan developers had in fact removed the frame area and the ceiling looked like completely like the framed area had never been there. What Ms. Cullen did not know at that time is that Logan developers had left a hole in the safe walkway space in their storage area. Shortly after moving in, Mrs. Cullen was walking upstairs to the bonus room and was going to go into the storage area. The point of her going into the storage area was to take pictures in other places where a handyman may be able to come in and put plywood down so that she could have more storage. So she walks in, and as we talked about, she walks in from that closet door along that bottom part of you know, coming up the, the capital F 
and she stops right where the the walkway would extend on that bottom part of the F. She stops there. She wants. Uh, yes, sir. I, I just want to at, at this point ask, you know, in your opening, you talked about it most. She'd been up there twice before. Is that twice before any time after closing or those references only to the pre-closing walkthroughs where the hole, well, where there was no hole, where it was just a plywood over this space. Had she been up there at all between the closing and this event? That this, the two prior occasions were before closing. This occasion was a couple of days after they had moved in and the handyman was there at the house reference, you know, talking about maybe we could add some storage spaces up there. And I just want to go ahead and ask this question. Just while I'm trying to get the lay of the land and, and, and continue on with your story um, or your client's story. Um, Z, if you could allow me to share real quick. And I'm going to try to share um, the record. And these are the photographs in the record. What I want to look at is 471, um, Exhibit 17B here. This is what I understand to be the hole that she fell through, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. I see these items on the to the right of the hole. Yes, sir. It would have been coming from the left. Is that my understanding of, of the evidence? Yes, sir. Um, the the picture that the defendants use in their brief actually kind of shows you where she would have walked kind of that. This would be that prong, <laughs> the F prong. Um, so if you're, you know, if she would have been walking from the lower left section of this picture. Okay. And, and I think, I think the, 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 the point of, you know, all these pictures show us what it looks like when you got the bathroom light on from down below. It doesn't show the condition as it existed when Mrs. Cullen was up there, because when Mrs. Cullen was up there, you had the uh, drywall that was placed to replace the ceiling. And then you also had what's called bat insulation. And that bat insulation is different from the blown insulation that you see in the defendant's picture on their brief. Um, the blown insulation comes up and it's above the that it's above the the joists on the sides. And that's what we're um, seeing more loosely here at record 469. It's not completely clear, but that wider space, that, that's what you're talking about, is kind of more yes, of sir. A and texture. the the, the Bat insulation is, you know, the insulation you typically see that has like the the paper backing on it, and it's a flat, more compact insulation. Okay. And then there there are pictures where the places that are outside the the you know safe walkway, it's raised, um, blown insulation. So, you know, when it when it's flat insulation in that hole and, you know, we're talking about a dark area, it's flat insulation, in that hole for her purposes, you know, it still looks like a continuous path. And. It's my understanding from the depositions and some of my notes and looking at it. The, she did not put any of these items over here on the far side prior to this fall, correct? Those were either potentially by her husband or the movers is what it in Yes, sir. Yes, sir. She, she did not, and she did testify that the movers did it or um, potentially a friend afterwards, but okay. she did not put those there. And from my recollection of, uh, of the, the evidence also, or the record as well, is there was no indication at least in light most variable to your client, that she was ever told of this spot where there was just insulation instead of plywood by either the movers or her friend or husband or anybody like that that had been up there since closing. Correct. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Um, let me just double check why I've got this shared and then I can give you 
back. Um, it's a little bit sideways here on record 470. But when it's talking about the ambient light from the window, is this where we're talking about here in the lower left-hand corner coming through? Yes, sir. Um, yes, kind sir. of a kind of a faux window um, that just allows light in up there. Yes, sir. And then you know, as you're looking at that picture, you know, again at the time that she would have been up there, you wouldn't have the lighting coming up from the hole. Um, as I stated, you know, it's covered by the drywall and the insulation. Okay. And let me just make sure that was my question. Okay. Those are my questions from this. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Um, uh, certainly, I think we all agree that level of care one mess exercise exercises changes based on their surroundings. Um, this case is unlike all the cases that were cited. We're not dealing with an open and obvious condition or a known danger to the plaintiff. Here, Ms. Cullen was in her own home, a safe space. She had been in the storage area before, and on both occasions, there was no hole cut in the plywood. And the hole in this case was concealed. It was filled with insulation, which would have been level with the plywood flooring. Um, and, and as I talked about, the insulation is the insulation they used on that hole is different. It's not coming up on the sides like the other insulation that she had seen before in in that area. Is there is there any dispute over the fact that she was told to stay on the catwalk? I, I don't believe there's a dispute of that. She knew that being on the catwalk was safe. She testified, um, I believe it's on 433, that um, you know, Mr. Rapp was asking her, would you have walked on the insulation? Well, she said, no, I, I was going to walk on the walkway. I, I would have stayed on the walkway. And, and so, oops, sorry, go ahead, just a second. My well, I was just going to say, so how does this affect your argument? Are you saying that this, that, that this looked like part of the catwalk? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because of the way the bat insulation was down in the hole, it, you know, and it, and, it, and in your mind, and I think our expert talks about it, you know, she knew that the design was this F walkway. She knew that when she went up there. So in her mind, she knows that's a safe area for her to be on, you know, and if you if those boxes are there, then that would give her the impression that, you know, that's a continuous walkway. Um, I mean, obviously there are questions of fact of whether or not the boxes were there at the time or were not, um, which again, that just goes to why this should be uh, a question for the jury to hear. So, yes, so was the, or is there evidence that was the, the bat insulation, was it turned? I mean, it's supposed to be my understanding that I think the paper side is supposed to be um, down in the fuzzy side, I'll call it very highly technical term. Uh, um, do we know if it was fuzzy side down or fuzzy side up? Uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, I believe her testimony is, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't really remember the fall, but she remembers, you know, falling down and she lands on that uh, master bathroom countertop. And then the the next picture, you know, the picture we have is just of it on the ground. So we don't know exactly how it <laughs> fell, um, right. so to say. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I think another uh, important point for this case is, you know, Ms. Collin is a 70-year-old pharmaceutical sales rep. She has no uh training in construction she's not a builder she's not an architect um she's you know she wasn't at the time familiar with where this storage space was in relation to her bathroom um she had never seen up through all she had seen was this framed area in her ceiling she never had seen up through any kind of hole um, she had no reason to believe that this hole you know, that the builders would have created this hole in the, the you know, the safe walkway that she had been on before. Um, and as, as we discussed, you know, she knew that the walkway was safe and she knew that that, you know, insulation that was off the walkway wouldn't be safe. Um, I think it's, you know, she reasonably believed, reasonably believed that this subflooring, you know, was still there and, 
you know, just as it was on the prior occasions when she had been up there. Um, yes. Is it, is it your position or at least in part that she acted reasonably in relying on the representation of the defendant that this had been repaired and put back to how it was when she was last up there? I would say yes, Your Honor. Uh, that's part of it. You know, she was told, you know, they were, she and her husband were told that, you know, you won't ever know that this was done or was here. Um, and so, you know, even though I don't know that, I don't, I don't know that she actually knew that they created a hole in the walkway, but certainly, you know, if a jury were to think that she did know there was a hole in the walkway, certainly their representations it's reasonable for her to believe that they would have, you know, when they fixed the underneath, that the up, the upper part would have been fixed as well. Is is there any duty on the behalf of, of somebody going into kind of a more dangerous area that may have been subject to recent repairs to inspect those repairs and to inspect that they were actually done before putting themselves in that, that dangerous situation? Well, I think that goes back to, you know, her testimony is she didn't know that there was a hole in the walkway. And and in her mind, the walkway is as it was all the time she had been up there before. And, you know, I think also in her mind, she thinks that Logan developers, you know, as a homeowner, she's getting the home in in the condition that they promised her it would be in which is a fixed and safe condition so miss hinton so she so her concern was the basically the visual of the ceiling in the bathroom because it had the framed area for the inspection um so she didn't have any as far as we know know like where that translated to up in the attic yes ma'am I mean, from below, obviously, her concern is not there's a hole in the walkway. Her concern is there's this thing on my ceiling that I don't like. Right. And that she hadn't seen that before. So, you know, that was one of the things where she's like, oh, I don't I don't like how that looks. I right. would like that to be fixed. Right. OK. So, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, the quintessential question for you guys is, is there an issue of fact in this case? And the answer is clearly yes. There's questions such as, would a reasonable person have seen the concealed hole in the safe walkway? Would a reasonable person have relied on the representations of her home builder? Would a reasonable person have any reason to believe that the, their builder would leave a dangerous condition? Would a reasonable person have any reason to believe that a walkway that was safe on all prior occasions would be made unsafe in her own home by her own builder. Would a reasonable person have acted similarly to Mrs. Cullen in the same or similar circumstances? These are all issues of material fact, and our courts have said for 100 years, questions of fact are to be decided by the jury. It was not a question for the trial court to decide. This was a dispute of fact that a jury could have heard pursuant to centuries of court precedents. And that right to have this question answered by a jury was taken away from Mrs. Cullen. Now, I'd like to move to the gross negligence argument very quickly. Real quick, before okay. we move on, the defendant uses a number of times in, in its brief, this phrase, an area of increased danger. I, I don't recall you using that phrase. Maybe you did, but it stuck out to me more in the defendant's brief. Um, would you agree or disagree that an attic like this where you've got part with plywood and part not plywood is is an area of increased danger? Well, I think that's a great question because I think, you know, the the area that she was walking in is not an area of increased danger. It's a safe walkway where you've got roof trusses that design that are designed and put in place to allow for a person to walk down these walkways. So those areas are not an area for increased danger. Those are safe areas that Ms. Cullen knew, you know, the roof trusses 
would prevent her from walking into the, you know, the other areas without having to crawl or, you know, step over things or, you know, contort her body. Um, these these walkways are safe areas. So I would I would disagree that it, you know, she has a heightened duty. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. Um, so as far as gross negligence, uh, we believe that we have shown enough. Uh, Gross negligence, uh, we must show that the defendant acted with a conscious disregard to the safety of others. Um, the hole was cut in the walkway. Again, it was concealed by that insulation. Um, and, it, and due to the nature of, of the placement and where the hole was, this incident was bound to happen. Um, a hole like this would have been difficult for, uh, it would have been dangerous for sophisticated construction workers, which is why OSHA would require precautions be to put in place for this. Um, the builders in this case did not do anything to warn of the whole, um, and that goes to knowingly and willingly violating OSHA, and they transferred that risk over to the homeowners. Again, as we sit here today, we're not arguing that 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 OSHA violation was gross negligence in and of itself, but it's just another fact weighing in favor of gross negligence. The hole in this case was even more dangerous to unsuspecting and vulnerable homeowners. And when you're looking at the conscious, you look at defendant project manager, his testimony, he has been in the home building, home construction his entire life. And he testified the hole was a safety issue. Had it been his home, he would have laid a piece of plywood over the hole. And here, that's that's evidence of the builders having a conscious knowledge that this hole was a safety issue. And they disregarded it because they failed to put simple low-cost measures in place to prevent someone from falling through the hole. It is undisputed that the defendant knew this hole was dangerous. It's undisputed that the defendant failed to employ any preventative measures to limit the fall risk to the homeowners. There are options that our expert talks about that could have been done. You could have placed a piece of plywood on a, a simple little hinge where it could still be opened. Um, you could have had a raised perimeter around the hole that would have given a warning as someone walked near it. Um, OSHA even talks about putting guardrails around a hole. On these facts, a jury could find the defendant's actions surpass simple negligence. On these facts, a jury could find actions constitute a conscious disregard for Mrs. Cullen's safety. And for these reasons, we respectfully request the trial court's order granting defendant's motion for summary judgment be reversed and the case be remanded for trial. Thank you. All right, thank you. And uh, for the defendant, Mr. Stoddard. Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Jeff Stoddard and together with Walt Rapp, we represent Logan developers. Uh, it's also called Logan Homes, if you hear us going in and out of that uh, name. And what this case is really about is whether plaintiff appellant is relieved of her duty to look where she is walking in that area of increased danger that Judge Murphy noted. This hole that we've been talking about, it's undisputed. This hole was required by the building code. Logan Holmes did not go up there and cut a hole in her attic because they didn't like the way the walkway looked or because they wanted to drop things down to workers below. They cut this hole in that floor because the building code required a scuttle hole to be placed there. That is a very important distinction for when we're talking about the entire context of why this hole gets placed, why this hole needs to be there, why this hole must remain open, must remain open, uh, and why if there's any confusion about that hole remaining open is certainly not an issue of gross negligence, but an issue of negligence, which is not an issue given the contributory negligence we're here to discuss. Mr. Stark, let me ask, just following up on something plaintiff was mentioning towards the, the end of her argument and her expert testifying regarding kind of low cost measures. Um, she discussed that the expert identified putting a, a piece of plywood with a with a hinge would would satisfy the repair and satisfy the code. Is there there's something where you disagree that that would satisfy the code? 
the the issue in this case is not necessarily whether the uh, plaintiff's expert has better measures or measures we should have taken the issue in this case is whether not taking those measures constitutes a conscious disregard for the rights and safety of plaintiffs and here what mr pender testifies to if you continue to read that quote that uh appellant's counsel noted is he said i would put the plywood over it in my house but I told them I couldn't do it because the building code's requiring me to keep this hole open. So while he could have put up a perimeter around it or painted it yellow or put a piece of plywood over it, all of these might be issues of negligence, but they don't rise to the conscious intentional disregard of plaintiff. They show a regard for the building code and this is a hole that was needed, not needless. And on that gross negligence issue, uh, the plaintiff and appellant have to show that what we were doing was needless. And Logan Holmes put that uh, put that uh, hole in because it was needed. But if we're dealing with conscious disregard, we're, we're talking about a 10 foot ceiling here, correct? Is that I believe right? it's something like that. How if it were negligence? And. That it is reasonably foreseeable that somebody would fall through that hole, just assuming that. How is that not at least arguably gross negligence when you're dealing with the fall risk of, of 10 feet um, the, and knowing what that distance would be if somebody were to fall through? Uh, the answer, Judge Murphy, I think, is that neither appellant's counsel nor I were able to submit to this court a case in which a person fell through a scuttle hole. And that's despite the fact that there are thousands and thousands and thousands and likely millions of these scuttle holes all around. These scuttle holes are them in and of themselves not a safety hazard. What's a safety hazard is when you're walking in an attic. And if you look at that photo, uh, Judge Murphy, that you pulled up, you can see there are numerous hazards. Miss uh, Cullen testified that she knew she could not step off that plywood anywhere. That's the real issue in this case is that it wasn't that she stepped in the scuttle hole. It was that she stepped off the plywood. And the reason she stepped off the plywood was because she admitted she was taking a step backwards and not looking where she was going because she was focused on what she was doing, which was taking photographs. That was a this. Go, go ahead and finish your sentence. I didn't mean to cut you off there. And that was a decision of her own making. And I was going to blend that into uh, the case law that's provided in our brief and the case laws provided in the appellee's brief. But if you want to interject, I'd be happy yeah. to hear that. I, I guess my, my concern in saying that taking a step back while while taking a picture <clears throat> is it would seem like we if we said that that was contributory negligence as a matter of law, we'd be setting a rule that Anytime somebody takes a step backwards in an area that they anticipate to be safe and they haven't checked immediately to make sure it's safe right before taking a small step backwards, that they're going to be contributorily negligent. I, I just don't see how a rule like that would hold up um, for our jurisprudence in the long term. There's, I have two responses to that, Your Honor. The first is that the flip side is also true to permit people to step backwards while taking photographs. Uh, it insulate if you don't hold them contributorily negligent, it insulates that action from taking photos. It, excuse me, it insulates the action of taking photos from being contributorily negligent. Let's change this hypothetical a little bit. If plaintiff's standing on the edge of a street and she steps backwards and gets struck by a car, but she steps backwards because she's taken a selfie or taken a photograph, she's being inadvertent or inattentive to the dangers. And that's what's happening in this attic. There are numerous dangers that she could step backwards into. It so happens she stepped into this scuttle hole, which again was required, but she could have stepped off anywhere. She could have stepped into that HVAC um, piping. I'm blanking on the word of what it's called in the ceiling there. There's a numerous untold number of dangers that she can encounter in an attic which is exactly why you're supposed to look before you're stepping. And the second part of that, Your Honor, is that- Let me just clarify that real quick. I, I just wanna make sure my understanding of the facts is correct. She had, at least in light most favorable to her, she had been up there before. This area was a covered walkway with plywood. She understood everything was gonna be fixed up and they didn't have to worry about anything. So to me, it's not necessarily stepping into a street it's almost stepping backwards in my house but somebody 
or sitting down in a chair that my kids pulled pulled out from under me. I have no idea that the chair is not going to be there because I just saw it there. Um, even though there, there's this gap in time, I guess that's where the, the street metaphor and the selfie metaphor really starts to fall apart for me. So I, 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 I'd love to let you continue on that, but I just want to give you that um, at least insight into where that metaphor and, and that comparison has fallen apart to let you kind of respond to that. Sure. And the, the facts, I think there is an important distinction, and this is listed on page five of our brief and in the record on appeal at 42421. And the question was, you knew it was there because they told you it was there, referring to the scuttle hole. They were going to make it look like it was never there. Right. That her answer is right, that she's understanding that it's not that this hole was going to go away. And Mr. Pender's testimony continues that I told the homeowners that this hole is required by the code and they can cover it if they want to, but I can't cover it. And all, all of that isn't really necessarily um, the driving issue here. What's driving the issue that, that brings it back into the area of contributory negligence is all of the case law that's out there. Uh, we Excuse me, but before you get into that, um, is is the whole did the whole area uh, hole did the whole area look different from the catwalk yes your honor that that's a great i actually wrote that in my notes i'm glad you got me to come back to that so the this insulation indisputably looks different than the plywood this is not insulation flavored plywood you know what i mean it, it you can see it in the photo it looks although it may look different from the blown insulation it also looks different from the plywood and in 2018 2019 i forget the year but recently uh the north carolina supreme court in the drohan verse uh, i have the Drohan versus Evening Star Holiness Church of Dunn, the Supreme Court found plaintiff's contributory negligence where that top step was of a different color. Uh, plaintiff was carrying a casket, walked up the steps, the uh, last step was a different color, he didn't see it, I don't know exactly how he fell, but the Supreme Court placed a lot of attention on the fact that because that step was a different color, plaintiff should have seen it and shouldn't have fallen. And that's what's at issue here too, is Mrs. Cullen testified that if she had looked, there was nothing obstructing her view. If she had looked behind her, she would have seen that hole. She would have seen insulation and she would have known not to step there. Let Mr. Slaughter, that that's the material fact here. Which part, Your Honor? That 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 the hole was a that the whole area would look different from the catwalk. And so Basically, like there's a swearing match over a lot of facts here, to be sure. But, but are is the are the actual elemental material facts undisputed? Yes, Your Honor, and the reason is the plaintiff's own testimony. Uh, this is in her answer to interrogatories in the uh, record appendix at 45. As I was taking the pictures, I took a step back and fell through the opening. And that's what this is about. This is about not looking before stepping. And if we go into that case law, the case law is replete with examples of not looking where one is stepping, being contributory negligence as a matter of law. That Lee versus Carolina upholstery case from 1946, going all the way back almost 80 years now, the plaintiff is using a, a rope to secure sofas. He's, his hand slipped from the sofa, or I guess his hand slipped from the rope. He falls backward, falls down an elevator shaft. And the uh, court said, because the rope and the method were of plaintiff's own choosing, the conclusion is inescapable that his careless handling of the appliance with which he was familiar caused him to lose back balance and step backwards, resulting in his fall. That's a quote, and that's exactly what happened in this case. Because she was engaged in an activity of her own choosing, taking photographs, she stepped backwards, and that's what caused her to fall. Uh, another similar case is this Swinson versus Lejeune motor case where a plaintiff doesn't see a depression in a parking lot because she's uh, eye searching the parking lot for her car and inattentive to where she was walking. And if she had looked, she would have seen the depression and would not have fallen. Again, that's precisely what we have here. So, Mr. Sauter, do we know, based on what's in the record, if the insulation was, as I said, fuzzy side up or paper side up, because I know what insulation looks like, it, it would kind of be the same color as plywood and flat if it was turned fuzzy side down. But do we know that? 
we we don't i i suppose we don't know the answer to that question but what i would submit is that it was plaintiff's obligation to to prove that and set forward that evidence what we're arguing here is that be it, plaintiff doesn't have a case because they failed to come forward with sufficient facts there's been no guess, facts submitted by plaintiff right, right and case. i understand your argument about stepping backwards but i guess the thing is, so obviously when she came up to the attic and and you know I, I mean i don't know what the orientation of how she comes in there is but based on where the boxes were and all that i'm assuming when she came up she would have been going forward that she would have been facing initially perhaps the area where the hole is um and obviously if you're facing it you're gonna you know you're gonna see stuff uh you might notice if there's a if there's a fuzzy spot in the walkway versus there's just uh it's dark it's not the best you know, not the best lighting right up there. Um, so I'm just wondering, would it be really obvious that like there's there's a light and dark area, you know, because the insulation would be a, a different color than the plywood and it would be a different texture that you might see even if it's low light versus if it's the paper side up, which in low light might sort of just blend into the thing. And so since she'd been there before, I said, this is obviously a, you know, it's a summary judgment issue. We have to look at the evidence in the light most favorable to the plaintiff. So that's my concern. The the first part of that concern, I think, Your Honor, is that there's been some uh, testimony here about the darkness and lightness of that attic. But uh, Mrs. Cullen testified that there was both ambient light and a light bulb in there. Uh, and these photographs will never do it justice for this court or us sitting here today. Right. Uh, you know, we, we always have this issue with trials where we try and right. introduce uh, photos and it's not the exact same light that an individual perceives. She sure. was not testifying that this was, you know, a dark, unlit area the way um, it was in that Duval versus OM hospitality case that's cited in our briefs. Um, she has not said that she couldn't see it because it was dark. She said she couldn't see it because she never looked. That's really the issue is that the failure to take that action of looking behind her, it's a contributory negligence case. So it's whether a reasonable person would have looked down. If you're in this area, in this attic with all of these hazards that can possibly be a problem, the ordinary person, reasonable care standard is going to have to require someone to look where they're walking. A, Another similar case, and this is cited in our brief as well, and I, I must admit, of course, that it is an unpublished decision, but it's the Henley versus Walmart case, and we cited in a footnote, but the facts are almost identical here. Plaintiff is taking a shopping cart, and she takes three, step backward, three steps backwards and falls. And the, the court says that's contributory negligence as a matter of law because you have the opportunity to look behind you and you don't look behind you. That's really the, the crux of this. Um, there's a, another unpublished decision, and I forwarded this to Appellant's Counsel at about 10 a.m. this morning. I only found it at about 7 a.m. this morning, and it is uh, the Sealy versus Farman Brands case, um, and it's 273 NC App 710. And, Your Honor, the reason I found this case is because it was actually involving the exact same panel that's before the court today. And in that case, there was a plaintiff who did not uh checked to see whether this ladder was secured at the top before he climbed the ladder of course the ladder was not secured at the top and he fell and what this same panel held was that because the plaintiff had an unexercised opportunity to move that ladder and see if it was safe he was contributorily negligent as a matter of law and that's what happened in this case too is that the plaintiff here had the unexercised opportunity to look where she was stepping before she stepped backwards while taking that photograph and she didn't take that unexercised opportunity. And that's really the reason we're before this court today when this hole was required. Um, the, the relevant inquiry again, isn't your honor that whether she sees the, what she sees in terms of that insulation being upside down, the relevant inquiry is whether a reasonable person under the circumstances would have looked down. And her own testimony, her demonstrates her contributory negligence when she concedes, I stepped backwards without looking. Um, and so the only way to survive that, of course, is for uh, the plaintiff to assert gross negligence. And here, there's just no evidence of any willful or wanton conduct. The 
hole was required by the building code. So if this hole is required by the building code and then OSHA says you can't have a hole here, then builders like Logan Homes are caught in the middle. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to be found grossly negligent for complying with one code provision that's inconsistent with another code provision. The, the other issue here too is that the code provision, excuse me, the OSHA provision is about um, protecting HVAC workers. The reason that this scuttle hole had to be placed was because the code enforcement, whoever makes these codes, has determined that it's unsafe for a HVAC worker to carry these heavy mechanical air handlers more than 20 feet. So if this hole had been covered, it would have been safe for Mrs. Cullen and dangerous for HVAC workers. And opened, it's safe for HVAC workers and dangerous for Mrs. Cullen. And these are why, this is why an, uh, an attic is an area of increased danger and it's not like your living room because there are uh, things inherently in an attic that cause that issue. Uh, Mr. Stoddard, so, I mean, yeah, I've had attics with holes in them. What we've always done is just take a sheet of plywood and lay it over it. Um, would that violate the building code to have a piece of plywood just laid there that you could just simply pick up and move? So, Your, Your Honor, the only testimony in this case is that the, um, the Jeremy Pender, who was the uh, project manager for Logan Homes, told the plaintiffs they were more than welcome to do that, but that he couldn't do it because he felt that the code required him to have that hole open. The building inspector had gone out and said, hey, this mechanical air handler is too far apart. You are required to place this scuttle hole. So he, in order to be found grossly negligent, there has to be a conscious disregard. And if, the play, if Mr. Pender is making this decision saying, hey, I don't think I can do it, that's not a conscious disregard. That could fall back into that negligence category, but it simply doesn't rise to the gross negligence category to uh, to erase plaintiff's contributory negligence. The um, Bashford versus North Carolina Licensing Board case uh, specifically holds that a building code violation is not gross negligence. There has to be something more. There has to be this extreme departure. There has to be this thoughtless disregard. And covering the drywall on the bottom side uh, for cosmetic effects may have been a building code violation, uh, but the difference here, and this was testified to by the uh, general manager, uh, Ryder Balcom of, um, of Logan Homes, he said that that drywall can just be cut out with a utility knife and then taped back up versus putting some permanent hole over it on the top is going to be a, he calls it a structural impediment. And that's what would be offending the building code in a greater way. The, um, Lost my train of thought there for a moment. Oh, this this directs us actually right back to the a case cited in the plaintiff's brief or the appellant's brief, excuse me, on the issue of contributory negligence. And it's the Manus versus Fowler-Jones construction case. Uh, and in that case, there was a construction worker fell through a hole uh, and the defendant admitted, a, a defendant admitted that it had covered the hole with a sheet of plywood. And what the court found was that that sheet of plywood constituted more of a trap than a warning. And I would submit to this court that if Logan Holmes had put a piece of plywood over this, Ms. Cullen steps backward, not looking where she's going. She slips on that plywood. She falls, whether falls through or just falls and hits her uh, chest and face. We're going to be in this exact same position where Logan Holmes is being sued for creating a trap in violation of the building code for putting that plywood over it. These issues all just relate back to the fact that Logan Holmes is under the position, under the um, impression, rightly or wrongly, that it cannot cover this hole. Uh, another case actually cited uh, in the appellant's brief, again, on this issue of gross negligence and willful and wanton conduct is the, um, is the uh, Wagoner case. And it said in that case, there was uh, the willful and wanton requires this intention to do wrong and inflict injury. And in that case, there was no willful and wanton where a detached rail car got loose and killed the plaintiff because plaintiff's distance to see the moving car was unobstructed and there was no unusual condition created by the defendants tending to distract or divert the attention. And if plaintiff had looked, 
the accident would have been avoided. And that is, again, I, I know I've said this a number of times today and I'm beating a dead horse, but that is precisely what we have in this case. The, the plaintiff had the distance walking down that F of a hallway to observe what was there. She did not observe what was there. She stepped backwards instead. There was nothing about the defendant's conduct that was done to divert her attention away from this danger. And if she had looked, she admitted there was nothing obstructing her view of that if she had turned to look. But she just didn't turn to look. Uh, it's a very, I, I understand that we've we've talked about how it's only the exceptional case in which a contributory negligence is found as a matter of law. Our brief cites five cases with very, very similar facts to this one in which the courts of North Carolina have found contributory negligence as a matter of law. Um, perhaps again, most notably that 2020 case, Drohan versus Evening Star Holiness Church, where the Supreme Court ruled on a very similar fact pattern less than two years ago, plaintiff's contributory negligence when she had the opportunity to see it and did not take that opportunity. Um, there, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, Your Honor, but it's also addressed in our brief that um, plain, we believe plaintiff's uh, appellants have abandoned their claim for punitive damages. The issue of punitive damages is not referenced or said at one any point in their brief. Uh, the Supreme Court in 2020 made clear that under the punitive damages statute, uh, willful and wanton conduct requires more than the gross negligence we've been here to discuss today on the issue of contributory negligence. Uh, the appellant's reply brief is addresses punitive damage for the very first time. And for that reason, that argument should be waived. So to circle back and try and bring this all under one house, this is really a case about whether an, a plaintiff appellant is relieved of their duty to look where they're stepping in an attic where there are numerous hazards and where they know they are not permitted to step off of the plywood catwalk. Gross negligence is being pled in the vast majority of these negligence cases in North Carolina, even where the facts do not support it. The dangers in letting these cases go to a jury is, is going to obliterate the distinction between negligence and gross negligence. There has to be a Rule 56 procedure. There has to be some teeth to the fit Rule 56 procedure uh, to weed out cases where there is no evidence of gross negligence. The facts of this case all show that rightly or wrongly, defendants believed they needed to keep that scuttle hole open to comply with the building code. That scuttle hole was needed, not needless. And to make out a claim for gross negligence, plaintiffs had to show that they needlessly left this hole open. They have to show this conscious and intentional disregard for plaintiff safety. And they didn't. They showed a conscious, intentional regard for the HVAC worker's safety, and that's what required them to have this scuttle hole open. While that, of course, puts them in between their duties to the HVAC worker versus their duties to Mrs. Cullen, those might be issues of negligence, but there are just simply no facts to rise to that. Willful misconduct, deliberate misconduct, intentional disregard that is necessary to make out a claim for punitive, uh, to make out a claim for gross negligence. Uh, and unless your honors have any further questions, I'm addressing my. Yes. I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, open and obvious condition, which is part of the drowning versus Evening Star case and, and what the Supreme Court's kind of looking into that concept. And I'm, I'm looking at the complaints suggestion of this failure to warn. Is there any case law you can point me to with a situation where a plaintiff had seen a condition was safe and would have been a safe place to go. By some act of the defendant that changed, there was no warning given to the plaintiff of that change in condition. And where we said that the, the plaintiff didn't have to, was required still to inspect even if with no warning of a change and, and had seen it in a safe condition? 
the the first reaction to that question your honor is that this failure to warn might be on the issue of defendant's negligence which is not at issue in this case we're here to talk about the contributory negligence and the gross negligence and i don't say that to divert uh an answer to your question the answer to your question is i did not find a case of that because as you can imagine most slip and fall cases are about something that's happened sort of immediately you know there are a lot of grocery store cases where you know something spills and there is no opportunity for that i think though highlighting or maybe instructive or illustrative for answering your question is actually two cut two cases cited in the appellant's brief uh and the first is the duval versus om hospitality case and that was a plaintiff had only one way out of the motel and the lights were broken there. So it was a dark unlit stairwell with no other exit. The plaintiff in that case slowly went down the stairs. She's holding onto the railing. She has her husband ahead of her feeling with a walking stick to see where the um, next step is. And when she gets to the bottom, she thinks she's at the bottom, but there's one more step and she falls. And the court in that case held that there was no contributory negligence for all of those safe reasons I just discussed. And those are diametrically opposite of what Mrs. Cullen has testified to in this case. She testified to ambient light and a light bulb. She testified she was not feeling for her steps to see if it was safe for her to step. She was walking back without looking. She didn't have another person up there with her. She could have been holding on to those two by four trusses that are up there. There was a handyman who was there to talk about putting down the subflooring. Maybe it would have been best for him to go up there and take these photos and say, where do you want it? Someone who has more familiarity with the attic. These are what makes a non-contrib case so diametrically opposite from the facts at issue in our case, which is what renders Mrs. Cullen contributorily negligent. The second case is, um, I lost it here for one moment, is the Barber versus Presbyterian Hospital case. And that was a case where a plaintiff opened a um, door, it was one of those big hospital doors, and there was a step down unbeknownst to her. So she thought she was walking through a door and the court found that there was a duty to warn there because you can't find out about that hazard until you step through that door. And in here, in here in Mrs. Cullen's case, she had the opportunity to see that merely by turning around, merely by looking down at her feet. And instead, she chose to look at her camera or her phone, however she was taking photos in front of her, and move backwards without looking where she was going. Thank you, sir. Uh, and with that, we would uh, ask, uh, we rest on our brief and ask that this uh, honorable court affirm the trial court's decision granting summary judgment in favor of the defendants. And I greatly appreciate the opportunity to make this presentation before you today. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, rebuttal. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Um, I, I think you know, with with Mr. Stoddard's argument, it's become abundantly clear that there are clear questions of material fact in this case should be decided by a jury. Um, he notes that the defendants state that there was nothing they could have done. However, on page 606 of Jeremy Pender's deposition, I asked him, would it not have been compliant with the code if it was a removable piece of plywood? And, and Jeremy says, yes, it could have been. It would have been compliant with the code because like a piece of plywood just covering the area was not secured, it would have been compliant with the code. Um, and as far as you know, conversations with the Cullens, there's a clear, clear distinction between what Logan developer said they told them versus what the Cullens said they were told. Um, so those issues of credibility on who you believe, those are matters for the jury. Um, there's also uh, testimony where there are other options that are discussed. Um, I know Mr. Starter brought up that the OSHA says you can't have a hole, but they were required to have a hole. Well, our expert noted different areas where this hole could have been placed. Also, in um, Ryder Balcom's deposition, I asked him if they're still placing the hole in the walkway, and he said, no, they're not. They're not placing that. They've changed the design of that house. They're not placing this scuttle hole in the walkway any longer. Um, it's clear from all of the evidence 
that they knew this was a dangerous condition. And uh, like Judge uh, Murphy, you brought up, I mean, this this is a safe space for her. And this is not analogous to stepping back into a street and getting hit by a car. It, I, I think you, you, you made a great point in, in your, your questioning where you talk about, okay, are we gonna say as a matter of law that just by taking one step back, she's automatically contributorily negligent. The case law that we have in front of us in these briefs does not say that. There are, there are a couple of times where there's cases like in Lee. In Lee, they talk about an experienced worker who's holding a rope and he takes three to four steps backwards. Um, another one of the cases that um, Jeff brought up, it's multiple steps. Here, the testimony is she thinks she took one step and fell. Um, so those cases are distinguishable. Um, and I think the the case that uh, Mr. Stoddard sent me this morning, I mean, I think it's it's important to distinguish that case as well as some of the other cases. A lot of these cases talk about someone who has experience, someone who in, in, in your own um, case that you guys decided, you it stated, given his prior experience, Tra and training and the unexercised opportunity to move the ladder. Those were the three things cited in your, you know, right before your conclusion. Um, it's the Sealy versus Farming Brands case that the three of you decided. In that case, we're talking about a guy who was trained. He knew that the ladder had to be secured pursuant to OSHA. However, he didn't check and then he falls. Um, and tries to sue because the ladder wasn't properly secured. Um, and that that case, you know, we're talking about an experienced construction worker. Again, Mr. Cullen is a 70-year-old pharmaceutical sales rep with no experience in construction building. Um, she was walking in a safe space that she had walked in before. And, and I know we talked... Uh, let, let, let me ask it, just kind of the opposite of that, you know, what experience does a person need to know or need to have not to go off the plywood in an attic? Um, well, you know, even she says, you know, I know not to go off the plywood. You know, most people, when they're walking around their attic, they're worried they're on extra lookout because there's nails coming out of the shingles or, you know, all kinds of hazards in an attic. So, you know, why, why isn't her basic experience as a, as a, person on the earth for all these years enough to say, be extra careful in your attic. You know, all that keeps coming back into my mind is that scene from Christmas Vacation where Chevy Chase falls <laughs> through the top of the bunk bed. And that's just, I think, so in, ingrained in my mind and just, you know, as, as I see most people, that you've got to be safe in your attic. And if there's a chance of falling off the plywood, well, you better be sure that your footing is, is sure and it's stable. Right. And I, I think that kind of goes back to um, uh, something Judge Stroud brought up about the color of this material. Um, there's a question of what color it was. Ms. Cullen says that she believed when she fell that the insulation was yellow. So if the insulation is, is you know, it's that this hole is concealed. This area is concealed. It's not like the blown insulation that is raised up on the sides. Also, you know, you're going to have warnings when you go off of the walkway everywhere else except for this part where they've cut the hole. There are other warnings. There's, you know, the roof trusses that would block up, block her from moving off. Here, she says in her deposition, he asked, as you approach this area, you would have been able to see the insulation and not the plywood in in this hole. And she said, I did not see it. She did not see that. And so I think the question is, was it reasonable that in this dark area that she was unable to see the, you know, bat insulation down even with the plywood? And, well, how do you respond to, to your colleague's argument that, that she didn't look, that she admits that she didn't look? She says, I, as she approached, she would have been able to see it. And she says, she, I didn't see it. And she's still in her safe space. She's in a safe space where she should have um, been able 
she should have been able to step back. It was the walkway she'd been on before. There's no reason why she wouldn't have been able to step back. So is it your argument then that because she's in a safe space, she shouldn't have to look? I don't know that you'd say necessarily she shouldn't have to look, but you know, I think she can rely on past experience. I mean, just as in, in, you're in your own home, are you not ever allowed to step backwards? And there's a, you know, if somebody comes in your house and creates this danger that you don't know about, you're not allowed to step backwards. It's a, it's an unseen danger and it's concealed to her. Let me ask a question regarding um, kind of what Judge Zachary and, and Judge Stroud have gotten at a little bit here with this contrast in, in the color. And I'll, I'll try to be quick. Is whether it was insulation side up or paper backing, probably brown side up, is that your burden of production? Or since the defendant is moving for contributory negligence at summary judgment, was that their burden of production to come forward and say which side was up and present evidence that it was the um, insulation side up? I would say an affirmative defense. As you're, as you guys know, I mean, the, 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 you're supposed to look at this case in the light most favorable to the plaintiff. So, you know, I think it's, I would ag agree with you that it's their burden. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Well, there are no further questions. All right. Uh, we will conclude this argument and thank y'all so very much for your arguments. Thank, Thank you. Your Honor. Thank you. This ceremonial session of the North Carolina Court of Appeals is now adjourned. Thank you.